Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And the world code is 01, which means you can reach us from anywhere in the world. There you go. And we certainly wish you would. We always love talking to folks from all around the country, the country. or world or city Wherever, or huh? whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're in Baton Rouge. We're just as eager to talk to you. You give us a call. And last week, we started talking about brake service uh-huh. and how to properly do a brake service because that's one of those things that most people feel like they know a whole lot about. Right, and you drive down the road, and every sign you see says, brake job. Yeah. There's no such thing as a brake job. Right. That was one of the points we tried to make last week. If you hear the word brake job, you're probably in trouble already because that's an obsolete term that never really did exist. There's no one set of things you're going to do to a set of brakes that are going to fix them. Every car is going to be different. Every one is going to need different things. And so you have to get away from thinking brake job. Instead, what we have is brake service. Correct. Where we go in, we're going to do a test drive, we're going to do a full inspection, we're going to find out what this vehicle needs to bring it back to optimum standard. One car may not need anything at all. I had a gentleman who came in early this week, said his brakes were squeaking, uh-huh. making noise. He was a little alarmed because he had about 80,000 miles. We pulled the brakes down, checked everything, and didn't need anything at all. The brakes were fine. They had almost 10 millimeter of material left. Right. Uh, 12 was brand new, so virtually almost new, even at 80,000 miles, because he pulled a travel trailer with it. And he's on the road all the he's time. He's on the road quite a bit. And it's just the pads had gotten a little older, and they were making a little bit of a squeaking. And I asked him, I said, how annoying? He said, well, it's not annoying at all. It's just occasionally a squeak. Just had a concern. However, because of the miles, I was concerned. So in his case, all we did is put it all back together, and he took off down the road happy. Uh So that's one instance. Another one may have a frozen caliper slide, which is causing one pad to wear faster. Or maybe the brakes to overheat or who knows what all. And that's going to require a totally different approach from the old Let's throw a set of pads on there and grind rotors down. Exactly. That is something that is not only obsolete, unnecessary, it just won't get the job done anymore. Not anymore. Not on today's vehicles. Today's vehicles are they're built so light. They have kind of reduced everything down until mm-hmm. there's not much there to work with once it starts to well, work. Everything is designed to a minimum, and what you have to do is put everything back exactly the way it goes. Correct. Because if it's engineered a certain way, that's the way it has to be. And not the way you thought it would. It would have been better. <laughs> Let's go to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Yeah. On the set of spark plugs, AC spark plugs, mm-hmm. how much mileage do you think you could get on them? Well, it's going to depend on the spark plug, depend on the design of the engine. David, what kind of car are you talking about? It's a, a 94 Cadillac Seville SDS. Yeah, that's probably got either a copper or a platinum plug. You're not going to get a whole lot of life out of them. Probably somewhere around 30,000 miles. Uh-huh. Because, you know, on the box, you see about, uh, they say 100000 Well, that's with an iridium plug in a late model engine, right. you see. But you can't take that plug and put it into an old engine and expect to get that kind of mileage. It's just the engine wasn't efficient like that. If it was yeah. a 2014 Chevy pickup, yeah, you could easily get 100,000 miles out of them. Yeah. That's what I was, I got at least 30000 on it. And it's, it's idling real rough. hmm and smelling gas and all. Yeah. That, would that make it smell gas, too? Well, it could possibly. If you had a misfire, it would make it smell gas. I would certainly start with that. I mean, 
that's a job you could do yourself pretty easily. Just take them out and look at them, David. And if the plugs are all a nice kind of a tan, golden color electrode and the uh-huh. gap is correct, you check the gap, then they're basically okay. Also, look at the insulators on. Make sure there's no carbon tracks because sometimes they can crack in that insulator and they'll start misfiring there. But, I mean, a set of spark plugs is not real expensive. I was if say, you want to just try that, it may not be your, your whole problem or it may not be the problem, but it's not real expensive. You can do it yourself pretty easily. And you're going to have to take the old ones out to check them anyway. Right. So, I mean, you're halfway there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. If it's burning really bad, would that cause it to run a little hotter also? Mm, no, maybe. It possibly but, could, but, I mean, I, there's lots of other things that can do yeah. that also. I mean, if it's running bad, it's naturally going to run a little hotter. Just because it's struggling to, to go. Let's say it's running on seven cylinders instead of eight. Well, you got seven cylinders doing the work of eight. Yes, it's going to generate more heat, but that's not and, one of the things you would normally associate with that. Uh-huh. Like, when I'm on the highway on full speed, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it seems like something's holding it back. Would that be because spark plugs? Well, like? that's possible, yeah. but I mean, it sounds like a lot of other things could yeah, be. Does. I mean, could be a catalytic converter starting to plug up. That'll make it overheat and make it hold back also. The point is, David, it could be a whole lot of things. If you start guessing, you're going to run out of money before you run out of guesses. Yeah, I know. You're going to need to get that to somebody and let them check yeah. it and tell you what it is, even if you want to do the work yourself. I mean, you could pay somebody to tell you what the problem is a whole lot cheaper than you could waste money. I mean, a set of spark plugs is one thing because you can do it yourself and they're fairly cheap. If you want to try that understanding that, hey, this may not do any good, it may, well, okay, that's great. But when you get much beyond that, you'd probably be dollars ahead just to pay somebody to tell you what's wrong. I mean, they can do a back pressure test and tell you if the catalytic converter is bad or not because you don't want to just go put a converter on hoping that's it. You know, you want to get a definitive thing. I mean, you can have an injector stuck open. I mean, you can have a lot of things. You can have a bad call, bad plug wire, on and on and on and on and on. It's just the point is you're going to lose money before you run out of guesses. There's just too many things you can guess at. Yeah, yeah. You need to have somebody with some test equipment to check the thing and tell you exactly what's wrong. I mean, a set of spark plugs is cheap enough to where you could gamble that. You're not going to lose much. So if you want to try that, yeah, go ahead and try it. It could do all the things you're talking about, but it, the more you talk about it, it sounds like you may have something bigger going on as well. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, well, thank you very much. All right, David. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. That's yeah, a good example of sometimes if you just like doing things yourself, you're handy, and maybe you kind of enjoy it, your plugs have 30,000 miles on them. Okay, so they're you want to screw a set of plugs in there and see what happens. You're not out a lot of money. You haven't gambled a whole bunch. But now when you start looking at things like, okay, well, maybe it's an injector. Well, now you're talking about some big money and a lot of work. Sure. Maybe it's a catalytic converter. Well, maybe it's a fuel pump. When you start getting in them kind of maybes, you just got to have somebody check it that knows what they're doing, has the tooling and equipment to test it, and they can tell you because – in probably about 15 minutes' time, I can run a back pressure test, and I can eliminate that catalytic sure. converter as a possibility, or I can confirm that that is what it is. Right. And so you hadn't spent a lot of money, and you made a right decision. Right, and if you started throwing parts at it, let's just say you thought it was a catalytic converter. You put one on it from a parts house. Right. Now you've got two problems. Yeah. Because that converter is not near as good as the one you took off. Probably that not. had was a 94 model. That's right. So you get to a point where you may be causing more trouble for yourself then it's really worth yeah you can easily create other problems we do see that quite a bit where someone will go in and let's say one example that kind of ties in this we'll have somebody bring a car to us and they've got a misfire and they can't figure it out and they put a set of spark plugs in it 
Well, the original problem was a bad spark plug. Mm-hmm. They put a set of plugs in, but in so doing, they broke one of the plug wires. They pulled too hard on one of those old plug wires and, it, and damaged the plug wire. Well, now it's misfiring because of that. So they still got the same symptoms, and they said, well, it must be something else because I put plugs in. So then they go off on a tirade of spending money because they don't have a way to verify that what they did is they solve one problem and create another problem at the well, same time. And with that same example, I've seen spark plugs get cracked when they get put in, cause a misfire. You could still have the same misfire, although you changed plugs. Break the plug, putting it in. I have had bad spark plugs. Sure. We put a set of plugs in a Ford not too long ago, and the engine was not missing or anything. It was running good. It just was time for a set of plugs. We replaced the plugs, brand new set of motorcraft plugs, and now it had a misfire. Right. Pulled, bad, bad sport plug. Pull that plug out where it was misfiring, and it was just a defective plug. You couldn't look at it. You couldn't see it. But something in the manufacture of that plug was defective. Right. Sent it back, got a new one, put it in. Everything's fine. But, again, if you don't have the wherewithal to test these things, right. you might they, very easily go off on a tirade of spending money, hope, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, never assuming that new part you put in was bad. Was a bad part. Yeah, we see that a lot. Well, it happens with every single thing, and it seems like it happens more and more these days, where you just get defective parts, off-spec parts and all sure. that. And it can even happen with OEM parts. We find it happens less with OEM parts, and that's one reason we like using them. But it can happen with a brand-new OEM part. It happens to us, and so if it happens yep. to us, it'll definitely happen to anybody else, you know. Yeah, uh, with definitely. Aftermarket stuff, and especially with the cheap aftermarket stuff. Oh, it yeah, seems to happen a lot more. Yes, it does. So, hey, we got to take a quick little break. We'll be back with a lot more on the Automotive Hour. My way, take the highway. That's the best. I'm here with Stuart, life insurance rep and Agco Automotive customer. That's me. So, Stuart, as an Agco customer driving a car with 245,000 miles, you believe in preventative maintenance, right? I sure do. You know, having your car checked out annually can prevent major repairs. Just like an annual insurance review. That reminds me of the old insurance story about the poor lady at her husband's funeral who asked her agent about death benefits, and he informs her that old Joe's first wife is still the beneficiary. Oh, an annual review would have helped, huh? That's why Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection to get an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs needed to help keep your car running. Oh, I'm definitely a believer. So, on another note, my wife wants to increase my life insurance policy by a couple million. Should I be worried? All I can say is some flowers and a gift card to the spa couldn't hurt. Mmm, good point, Stuart. For the rest of you out there, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. You got a question or comment or just something been bugging you, give us a call. 291-6901. Be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And should you happen maybe not to want to talk to us this morning That's or right. something occur to you after we go off the air at 11 o'clock or even next week at midnight, you can still get your questions answered. You can go to our website, which is Agco Auto, A-G-C-O, auto.com there is a contact bar on each and every page just mm-hmm. click the button fill out the form and send it in that's right the Good. only way it could be easier is if we come to the house well you can give us a call on the automotive hour and that's probably that's even easier but while we're here yeah but you got to do that between 10 and 11 on saturday morning so there you go <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about breaks today but we entertain a oh, call yeah. on any topic you might have that we will and just before we get back to all that we got a call from carol good morning carol 
say. Yes, ma'am. I drive a 2007 Saturn Ion. Okay. And my coolant signal keeps coming on, but I've added coolant to the reservoir, but it doesn't make it go off. Carol, which light is it? Does it say coolant level or does it say temperature? It just says coolant, and the temperature level is normal. Do you have a gauge for your temperature? Yeah, I do. Yeah, most likely on that, Carol, there is a little sensor that's inside that senses when the level is low, or some of them are in the coolant reservoir, reservoir, and those do go bad. The little sensor itself can go bad, so that it thinks it's low even when it isn't. Now, let me ask you this. When you check it, is the level ever low, or is it always full? It's never low. Never low. Okay, Okay. yeah, most likely the sensor is bad. And I'm not sure on that one. A lot of them are in the reservoir. They're made into the reservoir. Yeah, some of them you have to change the whole reservoir. Sometimes you can just change the sensor. But it's not ungodly expensive. I mean, it's probably a $80 or $90 part, maybe a little less than that. I just don't know on that particular model. But the way you could confirm that, if you can find the sensor or have someone find the sensor for you, temporarily just unplug it and see if the light goes out. And if the light okay. is on and it's full and you unplug it and the light goes off, then you know the sensor is bad. And then you could just replace the sensor okay. in the reservoir. All thank right. you. All right. Yes, thank ma'am. you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we always love hearing from you. And your little feature has been around for a while. It I has. can remember it back in some of the Cadillacs. It was in the radiator tank itself. That's right. Some of the Chevy trucks are in the reservoir. And they got to the point where they put that sensor in that reservoir and they sealed it in there so it would never leak. Mm-hmm. No chance of it ever leaking coolant out. Mm-hmm. That's why you have to change the reservoir with when the sensor goes back. That's correct. And it's a good little feature. It lets you know if your coolant gets low. But and like, we drove cars for 100 years yeah, without it, you know. Well, but people used to check all that kind they of did. stuff, I think. I, they did. I don't know all the reasons why, but people don't even check their oil level any longer for the most part. And I'm, now we, that you mentioned that. We get probably three to four cars a week come in with no oil in them. Sure. Well, and a well, lot of very times oil. the complaint is it's knocking or it's making a knocking noise or it's check engine lights on, and if it right. gets low enough to where the oil pressure is disturbed, it'll affect the cam time. It will throw a check engine light. Oh, most definitely. Even though the check engine light does not check the oil level, it it's, will affect things that will affect the check engine light. Correct. I'm always amazed how often we see that. I think well, we had two or three last week. We did. Come we in did. with no oil showing on the stick at all. Well, I mean, the extended oil changes got yeah. a lot to do with it. Well, that, and I mean, you don't have the old full service stations where you used to check right. the oil and all for you. and. It's just one of those things that just doesn't get checked very often. That's who who hardly <laughs> ever gets opened anymore. There you go. Let's go back to the phone line. Troy, good morning, Troy. Hey, good morning, fellas. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. We're doing great. I've got a 2003 Toyota Camry mm-hmm. and got the child lock feature on the back door. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Okay, the, they're both on. Well, one of the doors I can't open from the outside or inside, obviously, because the child lock. Right. Yeah, that's not going to be the child lock if it's from the outside because the child lock only disables the inside handle. More likely, that's going to be something in the latch itself has gone bad. How can I get that door open to, to get the panel off? <laughs> that can be Very a carefully. real, real booger, I can tell you. Yeah. What we generally do, is it a sedan or a hatchback? What kind of vehicle is it? It's a four-door camera. Yeah. Oh, what you're going to need to do, Troy, is get in from the other side, try to take the back seat out. In other words, you have to push in at the bottom or there will be two little screws at the bottom. Get the back seat out, pull it out through the other door, and that'll give you a little bit more access where you can get in and, and possibly get that panel off. Once you get the panel off, then you can get inside the door and open it. 
kind of involved for the average do-it-yourselfer. I mean, if you're real handy, you may be able to do it, but you got to take quite a bit of interior apart. Sometimes you can't get it off even doing that. You right. just really got to fight them. I mean, it's sometimes it, you got to sacrifice the outside handle. You may, you, have, to, you may, have, to may break, have to drill it out, break the, the handle, right. to get some of them off. You just know other way to get into it. Sometimes. Yeah. And I've tried. I'm just yanking on it, you know, mm-hmm. a hundred times. And it's I would probably hard. take it to somebody who does that kind of work and just have them see if there's something they can do, just because it would be less expensive than starting to break things. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I appreciate y'all's time. All right, Troy. Thanks, right, man. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would absolutely love to have you. And we've got Kelly online. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. Yes, sir. I got a 2014 Dodge Ram. Okay. And it's got the sensors in the computer that senses the tire pressure on all four tires. Yes, uh-huh. sir. I'll get the light come on. Tell me air pressure is low in the front tires. Okay. It shows me the pressure in the tires. Says inflate the 60 psi. Okay. The actual computer shows me that they're at 61. I check it. They're, they're accurate. Mm-hmm. Is that a malfunction in my computer? Sounds like it, yeah. Uh, I mean, is 60 what they're calling for? Yeah, it says inflate tires to 60 PSI, tire pressure low. Yeah. Kelly, I would check first with the dealership, particularly if you're still in the warranty, and see if there's a flash update available. It may just be a glitch in the software. If it's out of warranty, almost any standard automotive shop can do that as well. But, I mean, no use paying for it if it's covered. But it could be a glitch in the software where it has to be reflashed or something or possibly reset. There may be some type of update for that. I haven't run across that problem myself, but I hadn't seen that many of, of the newer Dodge trucks yet. Yeah, well, halfway figured that's what it was. Mm-hmm. But I enjoy your show, and I figured, you know what? We'll <laughs> tell him about it. Yeah. This might be the first time you hear about it. Yeah, I mean, like, you can send me an email, Kelly, to remind me, and I'll look it up in service data and see if there's any bulletins out for it. The only other thing I can think of is possibly one of the sensors is bad, but it's not completely bad, and it's just kind of glitching out, and the computer's picking it up, but it's faster than your eye can see because it's giving you an average. It's not giving you a live reading, and it oh. picks up that little drop and, and sets the light. It could be that because light once it comes on, it'll stay on even though the pressure is correct. If it reads bad once, it's going to throw the light on. It's going to keep it on until you reset it or until it averages out enough readings or maybe cycle ignition or something. So it could be the one of the sensors is, is kind of glitching out on you also. That's another possibility. Now, see, it's going to have a code set in that system that you won't be able to see. You've got to have a Chrysler scan tool and be able to go into the chassis control module to read that. But it will set a code. It's a manufacturer's code. You won't be able to see it with a code reader. But if that's what's occurring, it probably will set a code that you could pick up. All right. So basically, if I'm going to bring it somewhere, I need to bring it when it's doing that because it'll probably reset and go away. It very well may, but it should keep a code in memory if it is a malfunction in the system. Are you still under warranty, Kelly? No, it's a 14 model. It's only got 10,000 miles on it. I think it is. I would think it is. I would first check with them and see if it's a free repair. If it's not a free repair, then almost anybody who's got the proper scan tool can go into the body module and see if there's any code stored. And odds are it'll be a history code in there. It usually keeps that stuff even though yeah. the light goes off. You know, light's just for the drivers, but it sets the manufacturer's light. codes that it'll retain for the technician. Right. Well, I, I think that I know a quality repair shop right here on Forsey that probably <laughs> I'm pretty sure we can. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks Kelly. Bye-bye. 
All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would absolutely love to have you. We were talking last week and kind of wanted to just recap a little bit this week, but I don't want to get too bogged down on it. But okay. when you do a proper brake service, you always start out with a complaint. What sure. is it you're trying to fix? Is it a noise? Is it a grinding? Is it a squealing? Is it a shake? A is shake? It a, shutter? a shutter? Is the pedal pulsing? Does the is the pedal low? Right height? Right. Is the pedal too high? Does it just not stop? What are you trying to fix is the first thing you need to know. And you had brought the point up that you might even want to write that down. Just because you can get involved, get off on a tangent, write that down so you know what you're going after. Exactly. Second thing is a test drive to confirm it. Third thing is an inspection. And with an inspection, you don't stop inspecting until you find the cause or the likely cause of what those symptoms are. That's what you're going after. Okay, we know this is the problem. We've confirmed it with a test drive. Now, with our inspection, we are trying to find out why is this doing it. Right. Let's just take a brake shutter, for example. Mm -hmm. You drive the vehicle, you hit the brakes, and the steering wheel is shaking in your hand. Right. You get back to the shop, you get it racked, you get the wheels pulled off. Sure enough, the, the rotors are warped. Right. Why are the rotors warped? Right. That is why we, that is what we're here for. We want to find out why this happened. Most places will just throw a set of rotors and pads on it, turn you out on your way, and six months later it's doing it again. Well, that's right. Because they didn't fix the problem. They right. just treated the, the symptom. symptom. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, so many things can cause rotors to warp. We talked a little bit about that last week, but one is that you could have the back brakes are not working properly. And the front's doing all and the stopping. And the front's doing all the stopping. Another is someone may have put an aftermarket set of pads. They don't take enough heat out of the rotors, and they've warped the rotors. Another is, and I've run across this, where the wheel flange, let's say the car popped the curb at some point in time, uh-huh. and it bent or warped that wheel flange. Well, the rotor bolts right to the flange. Correct. Which means now the rotor is wobbling because it's bolted to a flange that's wobbling. Now, ironically, when you first put the brand-new rotor on and go drive it, you will not feel the shutter. No. That's because you can tolerate a certain amount of wobble. The slack in the front will take that up. But what the wobble does is cause the pads to wear into the rotors opposite faces at different spots. The two faces get out of parallel one with another, and then you start feeling the shutter. That's why you put a new set of rotors on. You say, well, it fixed it for a while, but it keeps warping rotors. Well, maybe not. That is a key thing you need to tell the technician that's mm-hmm. working on the vehicle. Right. I've had brakes put on this car three or four times, and each time it keeps warping the rotors. After about After two so months, many, three months, six months, whatever, whatever it, may be. it is. Because that way he knows that he's got more to do than, than just, just put a set of rotors on it. Correct. Because let's say you bring the car in and you say, I've got a shutter when I stop. Well, what he's going to do is he's going to look at it. He sees a set of aftermarket pads on it. Right. He sees the rear brakes not working very well, and he sees a set of warp rotors. Well, there's three things right there. Right. He is going to prudently just replace the rotors and fix the problems and not go a whole lot deeper. But if he knows it's an ongoing problem, he's going to look for more. Correct. We'll talk a little bit more about that and a whole bunch more when we get back. I'm here with David, engineer, do-it-yourself mechanic, and actual Agco Automotive customer. You got it. So, David, you own, like, 50-something cars? <laughs> Not that many. I have five. Some are for everyday driving, and then there's my 94 Olds Cutlass Supreme Convertible and 95 Thunderbird Super Coupe. Those are more for fun. And you do a lot of the work on them yourself. I do, but when it's out of my leg and I want it done right, I take my cars over to Agco. Wouldn't trust my cars with anyone else. So, listeners, if you're less like David and more like me, not automotively inclined, take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. 
It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. So, David, I'd love to check out your 94 Cutlass. Really? Yeah. I figured we'd cruise around, listen to some of my Michael Bolton and Kenny G CDs. I'm more of an Aerosmith fan myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I see, yeah. So, schedule your general inspection today at Adco Automotive. Adco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Today we're talking about brake service, but we'll entertain a call on any topic you may have. We're not ever just limited to the topic we're discussing. That oh. just gives us something to talk about between the callers. There you go. <laughs> you were mentioning about the brake inspection and so uh-huh. on, and, and we've driven the car at this point, okay. and now we're ready to start inspecting the brakes. All right. First thing you want to do is when you walk around the vehicle, when you drive it up in the shop, you want to make a walk around and just kind of notice the smell maybe coming from the vehicle. Mm-hmm. If there's a real smell. Acrid burning smell. Yeah, that, that you don't really recognize, you mm-hmm. may have a, a brake pad that has gotten hot. Right. Because when they get hot, they put off a smell that is very noticeable. That's right. I know if anybody's ever driven in the mountains, you're driving up and down that right. mountain road. You can smell brakes because oh, yeah. they you, get hot. You, you can always smell the tourists. Well, they, you know? <laughs> they generate a great deal of heat because they of do. friction. and. If you've got a little infrared thermometer, you can shoot a temperature grade on each one of the pads, and you see one is unusually hotter than the other or a pair that are unusually hot. It gives you a lot of insight into what you're looking for because if you see two that are hotter than the other two, then you may be looking at something like a master cylinder. Like a hydraulic. Applying two and not the others. Because the brake system now is a two-part brake system, right. whereas when it first came out, hydraulics were just a single master cylinder right. that worked all four wheels. Well, now you have a split master cylinder, which works half the system, and the other half works the other half of the system. And just about everything now is diagonal braking, whereas the left front wheel may be tied to right rear. Right. And right front may be tied to left rear. It used to be the fronts and rears were segregated, but now they're They've more gone diagonal. diagonal. Reason being, cars are so light that if you take out both front brakes, you may not be able to stop the car at all. Exactly. So what they've done instead is split the system on diagonal, so where... If either side goes down, you still have one front and one back. Correct. To help stop the car. So if you're looking for things that are wrong, again, smells, good point there. Another thing, you want to check your fluid level. Because if the fluid level in the master is low, it may indicate a problem. Correct. And when I say may, it does not necessarily mean you have a leak. Because it could be that the pads have worn. As the pads wear, they come out in the calipers because they get thinner, and that does take a certain amount of fluid in. Right, and if no one has put any fluid in the reservoir over that period of time, the level will be low. That's right, but you always want to be aware when you see a low fluid level, is it leaking somewhere? Right. And one of the more common places, especially with drum brakes, is the rear wheel cylinders will leak. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty common, and what you do is you have to take the drum off, start taking it apart, and there's two little rubber boots on either end of that cylinder. Now, those are dust boots. That's right. They're They're not not seals. They're not supposed to have any fluid in them. Right. If you pull that dust boot back and fluid comes running out, you have a leaking cylinder. Then the cylinder has gone bad. Because the seal is inside of the cylinder. Behind the piston. Behind the piston. There's actually the dust seal, a piston, and then the seal. That's correct. And so if fluid has gotten into that outer boot, then the cylinder is leaking and it's time to replace. Sure. The same thing with a caliper. You, If you're noticing fluid coming out of a caliper anywhere, then the caliper is leaking. Or the little line where the little copper rings go may be leaking. But right. any fluid coming out of a caliper indicates a problem. It should not have any fluid coming out of it at all. It's built in the same configuration as a cylinder is. That's it's right. got It's got the big dust seal that keeps the trash and stuff out of the 
hydraulic seal that is sealed around the piston mm-hmm. inside the caliper. So if, like you're saying, if you get any fluid out of that, you've, you've got a bad part. That's right. Something is seriously wrong. Now, another place that a lot of people have trouble and don't realize they're having trouble is a master cylinder can leak. And a lot of times it will leak into the brake booster. Right. So you won't see an external leak. Correct. And there's two ways to verify that. You can take a master cylinder and unbolt it from the booster Mm -hmm. and drop a a piece. I I like to use a zip tie because it's plastic, Mm -hmm. and it won't damage anything if it hits anything. It's the diaphragm inside the booster. Right. Just take and dip it down in there. Make sure it goes all the way to the bottom. If you pull it out and it's dry, Mm -hmm. then you're okay. Mm -hmm. But if you pull it out and it has fluid on it, Right. The master cylinder has started leaking into the booster, and therefore the booster is now bad. Yeah, the booster has been compromised at that point because that diaphragm is made out of some type of a rubber material, and it's not designed to have brake fluid on it. What will happen is if you replace just the master cylinder, it's going to last a little while and it's going to go bad again. Right. Because as the diaphragm and the seals start to go bad, it applies vacuum to the back of the master. It'll pull the seals right back out of that master cylinder. So, in fact, when you buy, like, a rebuilt booster – they don't even sell you a booster without a mouse cylinder in most cases. Mm-hmm. It comes an assembly simply because they don't want you changing one without the other. Right. Because the number one cause of booster failure is bad mouse cylinders, and one of the number one cause of mouse cylinder failure is boosters. <laughs> they kind of work hand in hand. They do. So you got to verify that. Now, if just the master cylinder is leaking and hadn't gotten into the booster, then you can replace just the cylinder. Mm-hmm. Another thing is that sometimes they won't leak externally, but they will bypass internally. Correct. You won't have any sight of fluid right. on the outside but when you push the brake pedal it goes to a certain point and it stops and then all of a sudden it just starts sinking out from under, your, under feet. your foot and that's sort of a telltale of a master cylinder problem sort of light pressure like at a red light you're just sitting there with your foot on the pedal all of a sudden the, your pedal just starts going mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper now there are some other things that can cause that i was just fixing and feel the- exactly like a master cylinder i've seen master cylinders replaced and that not be the problem. Right. For instance, uh, ABS system can cause that. Right. GM, back in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, had a two-wheel. They call it, yeah, they call it two-wheel. Mm-hmm. Just rear antilock brakes. And the little modulator valve and everything they used would feel just like that when it started bypassing. Right. And we used to get them in all the time. New master cylinder or two new master cylinders right. have been put on it. And it still had the same problem. Well, and even on more modern cars, I know we've had a few in the shop in the last couple of months where the pedal is sagging down, and it's the ABS hydraulic modulator. One of the dump valves is stuck in an open position. And it's letting the fluid. it just lets the fluid bypass to the accumulator, so the pedal slowly sinks, but it doesn't lose any fluid. Mm -hmm. And about the only way to really diagnose that is with a set of hydraulic block-off plugs. Right. That's where you take the two lines out of the master cylinder, you screw these plugs in, which block those ports. If the pedal comes up rock hard and doesn't sag, now we've tested the master. We know it's good. We know the problem's probably in the ABS unit, and we have to go test it separately. Correct. But without that type of test equipment and that type of knowledge, that can and be very difficult to. That's the last test I want to make because mm-hmm. I don't want to open that hydraulic system any more than I have to. Right. Because when you do, you introduce air. That's right. And on some systems, air is extremely hard to get out, sometimes impossible to get out without a scan tool work. The ABS valves. Right. You can get into a big, big deal, take a, a big deal, and turn it into a much bigger deal. Correct. And if you're trying to work at home and you don't have this kind of tooling or the knowledge to work on that and you happen to break these lines, get air in it, you'll probably end up having to tow your vehicle somewhere to have because the, the pedal is going to be on the floor. Some of the late model Chevy pickup trucks with the active braking are like that. Oh, yeah. If you open the brake lines and get air into that ABS unit, you are most likely going to end up having to tow this somewhere. Well, even manually bleeding the 
the brakes. If foot you bleed try, the brakes. If you try to foot bleed the brakes, right. the pedal may hit the floor. If you open wheel cylinder to bleed the, the fluid, the old fluid out, mm-hmm. you very well may have a low pedal that cannot be resolved without the scan tool. Right. You have to go in. And I mean, those are, even with a GM scan tool. They are hard. They, they take they're about tough. an hour. It could take about an hour and run about a half a gallon of fluid through it sure. to get the pedal back up. I don't know what they were thinking when they designed uh, that. but Man, I have no idea. <laughs> some some engineer decided this was better than whatever what we'd been, been using doing. for a million years. Yeah, right. Yeah. So once you've checked the system over and you've determined that you don't have anything getting hot, you don't have anything that's leaking, uh-huh. now we want to start checking the physical components in the system. We have the racks there at the shop. Mm-hmm. The, we can run them up in the air, and I can walk underneath. I like to take a visual look at all the steel lines that go right. from the front to the back of the vehicle. I like to start in the front mm-hmm. at the calipers and look at as much line as I can all the way back because I have seen rusted-out lines. Right. I have seen damaged lines crimp. from a, a rock, yeah. you know, runs up and, and smashes well, a Or just a crimp a line. line, someone jacked the car up improperly. Maybe there's some body work done, so I wrapped a chain around it. Right. And pulled, pulled on it, and smashed the line. Them, which reduces flow, which will reduce braking right. effect. You may end up with a brake pull. You may end up just with the front rotors warping if it's a back line because the back brakes aren't getting that aren't full getting amount of pressure. Them. Correct. So all of these sorts of things is what you're looking at. Now, when you look at the brake material, and see that it's worn away. You also want to look and see how it's worn away. Right, because on a front brake caliper, you have a pad on the outside and a pad on the inside. They should wear together. They should be just about the same thickness as they wear out. And from one side to the other. Correct, from left to right. Well, and also from top to bottom of the pad. Correct. Because you can have things such as a sticking caliper slide, and it will pad will wear off at a bevel. Mm-hmm. It'll wear at an angle. And that's a problem because the new pad is going to do exactly the same thing, probably worse, because that slide wasn't always stuck. So only, let's say you got 40,000 miles in your brakes and they worn off at an angle. Well, for 35,000, that caliper may have been working just fine, and the last 5,000 is stuck and wore it off at an angle. You put another set on, it takes about 5,000 to do that again. Right. <laughs> so you're not going to necessarily get the same life you got last time because the problem goes on and on. You know where we see that a lot is the rear brake calipers that have the parking brake incorporated mm-hmm. into the caliper itself. Right. There is a lineup pin on the back of the brake pad that's supposed to correspond with a groove that is in the piston. Mm-hmm. We see that a lot to put to... Put new pads on, you have to turn those pistons. You have to screw index them back it. into the caliper. Right. And if you don't index them correctly, when that caliper comes back out, the pin doesn't line up with the groove, and right. therefore it pushes on the top of the pad, Right. and it wears them off at an angle. That's correct. We see that a lot. I've also seen a bent spindle where a car has maybe been wrecked or hit a hole or something. The spindle itself can bend, throw the caliper out of phase with the rotor, right. and wear now, both pads off at an angle. Right either side to side or top to bottom. So you want to make sure that all the pads are worn relatively even side to side and from one pad to the other in the caliper. Now, front to rear will generally be biased because they don't put the same amount of braking on the front and the rear. Most cars, as a general rule, will wear the front pads faster than the rear. Right. However, there are a handful that will wear the rear pads faster than the front. Your Chevy pickup truck is an example of that. Ones before they came out with the drum brakes on the rear, I think it was 88 to 2006 maybe, some of those would wear the rear pads out at around 100,000 miles. The fronts may go 150. Yeah. It just had a lighter-duty pad on the back, and it just didn't last as long as what the front ones did. I've seen some Toyota and Lexus products that would wear Same. the rear pad out before the front. So 
it doesn't mean anything is wrong. It's just on that vehicle, that's the way that it works. You know, you can't. Right, this particular vehicle, for the what, way it was designed, this this one wears the rears more than the front. Right, and knowing that will allow you not to go into a whole bunch of Un- unnecessary diagnosis. Correct. <laughs> hey, we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. I'm here with David, actual Agco Automotive customer and owner of a 98 Suburban with 434,000 miles on it. And counting. That's amazing. How did you do that? Well, as an airline pilot, I know the importance of regular maintenance schedules. That and having a great team of mechanics, just like the guys at Agco. So Agco has helped keep your car running? All of my cars. Wow. So, folks, if you're looking to keep your late model vehicle on the road longer, take it to Agco once a year for a general inspection. That way, the Agco team can catch any potential problems early before they become expensive repairs down the road. Yeah, David, I've done a little piloting myself. Really? Well, it was one of those radio-controlled planes you fly off of Burbank, (laughs) but I could feel the power. (laughs) Oh, I bet you could. That's really close to a 747. I know, right? So, folks, schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Still got plenty of time. Give us a call, 291-6901. You mentioned a good point. I'd like to expound on it just a bit, and that is the calipers that have the parking brake made into them. Right. They work in a, a different way than a regular. Well, they, they work the same way as a regular caliper works, mm-hmm. except the parking brake mechanism is set up on a mechanical. It's inside of the, the caliper, mm-hmm. and you pull a little lever, and it forces the piston out. And when the lever comes back, the piston pulls back in, which when that happens, it forces the pads against the rotor, and that is the parking brake for right. the vehicle. Now, they come in different configurations because when you have drum brakes, there's a mechanical cable that goes to them right. and a spreader, and it spreads the shoes out against the drums, and that's what holds the car mm-hmm. when you set the parking brake. But most of the time, especially on the GM trucks for reference, the parking brake shoe that is inside the hat of the rear rotor. Right. And the only way to get to it is to take the caliper and the bracket off and remove the rotor to inspect this little parking well, and brake shoe. a lot shoe. of people don't even realize that that's in there. And what they'll do, they want to do a complete brake service on the car, should I say. They'll go in, they'll pull the calipers off, they replace the pads, they check everything, they inspect everything really, really well put it all back together, and they're driving along, and they hear screech, 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 screech. Uh-huh. What they neglected to do was to remove the rotor and look inside because there is a little small drum brake inside of that disc brake. Correct. That acts as a parking shoe. And when GM designed that, they did not design the little clip exactly that right it. that suspended those parking brake shoes. I think it was 98 up to 2004. The clip was undersized, and the shoes would the weight of the shoe would drag it down to the bottom of the drum. It would sit there and apply constantly, even though you weren't using it. Right. And it would go metal to metal, and they'd chew the little drums up, and they would chew the shoes up pretty bad. And if you didn't notice that, I mean, they in an extreme condition, they could cut the rotor in half. Oh, yeah. They would just wear so much. In fact, Jim came out with a revised a, shoe. Well, not only a revised shoe, but came out with a, I want to say it was a recall for that parking brake system, but only on the manual transmission vehicle. That's correct. Which was stupid because right. you had the same had the problem same. regardless. But that's the only ones they wanted to do. Their thought, I guess, is that if you had a 
automatically, I mean, you put it in part, but right. it really had nothing to do with the functioning of the shoe. This was the fact that it was a defective design. It would wear, because it would wear whether you used them or not. Oh, yeah. And the first thing you notice is the parking brake pedal would go all the way to the floor. Right. And, and the vehicle would parking brakes go all the way to the floor anyway. When they're working right, they go all the way to the floor, but they hold. Right. These would These go to the floor and hold. still wouldn't hold. <laughs> yeah. You put the pedal on the floor and it would still roll off. So that's another thing to start to look for when you're in inspecting those brakes. Make sure you know what kind of parking brake mechanism you have. Because if you've totally repaired your brakes and haven't fixed the parking brake, have you really fixed the brakes? Exactly. Not really. <laughs> so another and, thing or two that sort of go along with the brakes that people maybe don't think of as the brakes. One is when you're doing a complete brake service, check the brake lights. Sure. Do the brake lights work? Because if the brake lights are not functioning, now you got all these brand new shoes on your car and it's going to be stopping on a dime. You don't want the guy behind you slamming in the back of you. Because Exactly. You really haven't done a complete brake service if you haven't inspected the operation and function of the brake lights. And, you know, some of those brake lights, they're just regular incandescent bulbs. They do burn out. Mm -hmm. And usually you'll notice that most vehicles now have a third brake light up on top of the That's rear right. glass. It works, but the other two don't. Right. Well, that is an electrical symptom. It could be two bad bulbs, which, I mean, Does it's happen. possible. But most likely the switch, the brake switch, mm -hmm has gone part of the circuit in it has gone bad it could be that because a lot of those are wired they have two circuits in them mm -hmm. one runs the third brake light mm -hmm. and the other circuit runs the rest of the brake lights right. another thing that we've seen on that is where your turn signal switch would go bad on certain cars and the turn signals cancel the brake lights when they on apply. that side so you could have a out light and the third light still works fine uh-huh of course, it could be a wiring problem. could be all sorts of things. Brake lights are pretty complex nowadays. There's all sorts of things can set them. But the point is you really need to inspect and make sure all your lights are working when you're doing your brake service. Now, another thing is the lights on the dash, the little red brake warning light. You've got a red brake warning light, which tells you either the parking brake is applied, mm -hmm. the master cylinder is low, or you've got a hydraulic failure in the braking system. Right. That, that one light requires immediate attention. It does. That's why it's red. That's why it's red. Now, you also generally have a yellow light that says ABS or something to that effect. Uh -huh. Now, people get confused by that quite a bit. And they say, well, the ABS, something's wrong with my brakes. Technically, that is part of the brakes, but only kind of sort of part a, of it. It's an add-on system. It's an electrical system that monitors the operation of the brakes. But it has nothing to do with the brake shoes or the wheel cylinders. The functionality of the hydraulic. Right. You still have full functioning regular brakes on any modern car when the ABS is on. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not important or that you shouldn't repair it. But we have seen where someone would come in, they've got an ABS light on, and says, man, I've changed all the brake shoes, I've changed all the wheel cylinders, I've changed the hoses, I've changed the calipers, and my light's still on. A confusion of what that light means. That is none of that stuff. Although it may have all been necessary, none of that stuff is going to fix that ABS light. Right. That is an electrical system. Electrical system with sensors and a computer and so on. Another thing that we see occasionally is someone will come in, they've had some brake service done on their car. Two or three months later, the ABS light comes on. Right. And they're angry about it because, well, I just had, had this guy just did a complete brake service on my car, and now my light's on. Well, but again, this is an electrical system. It's nothing to do with the work that he did. It could be a bad sensor. It could be an unplugged sensor. Mm -hmm. It could be a squirrel got in there and ate the wire. Who knows? It has to be diagnosed. 
And it is possible that he created that problem. It's possible. It's just as likely, if not more likely, that it's just a separate issue. I have seen that problem caused before. When you bleed the brakes, you know, when you push the pistons back in to put those new pads on, right. instead of opening the bleeder screw, the fluid is forced back through the system. Mm-hmm. That fluid is full of trash and all kind of stuff. And that ABS valve has some very small ports and valves and things in solenoid. them. And trash can get caught in them. Mm-hmm. And when that solenoid doesn't operate correctly, it'll turn that light on. That's right. And what you're talking about is that all debris in the brake system goes whether it's metal that's worn off of the parts or rubber or whatever it's going to migrate down to the lowest point in the system because it's heavier than the fluid so over time it's going to work its way down the lowest point in the system is generally the front brake calipers so it's going to end up collecting in those brake calipers now as the pads wear the pistons come out and they get extended that's why it takes more fluid in when you go to replace the pads you have to push those pistons back in but the last thing in the world you want to do is get a big c-clamp or a pair of pliers or whatever and smash that piston in and force all that filthy contaminated fluid back up through your system right that's exactly what you're doing instead you need to do one of two things either service the brake fluid first get every bit of trash out of it by running clean fluid through bleeding it through or at very least Open the bleeder screw so that the fluid is expelled rather than being forced up through the system. For, even if you clean the fluid before you do the service, mm-hmm. it's always best to open that That's bleeder right. screw and let that fluid come out at the lowest point well, it, instead of trying to force it backwards. It relieves the pressure of backwardly forcing fluid through a system that's not designed to have fluid run backwards through it. Because there are seals and stuff in there that may not be leaking, but they may have a lot of miles on them. When you force that fluid backwards through the system, you may disrupt that seal because the fluid is flowing in the opposite direction now. The seal may subsequently fail. You may also dislodge a piece of debris, gets wedged into a seal, which wears the seal out two or three months later, wham, light comes on, big expensive repair. Mm -hmm. And it's all because the pistons were not retracted into the calipers properly. You didn't expel the old fluid out and relieve the pressure. Right. And something else I don't like doing, when you open that bleeder screw and you force that piston in, mm-hmm. do not block the hose off. Right. I've seen people take and, and take a pair of vice grips or something and block the hose off to keep the fluid from going back in mm-hmm. that direction. You're really doing yourself a big disservice by crimping those hoses. Well, those hoses, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one of the parts that people don't change a whole lot because they look at it from the outside they look, and they say they look okay. okay. But they break down from the inside. They do. If your car has a lot of miles on it, let's say you've got 150,000 miles or more, or let's say your car is 12, 14, 15, 20 years old, those hoses are going to be extremely tired. Sure. Go ahead and do the right thing and replace the brake hoses. Brake hoses are one of the least changed parts that give the most trouble. I know we get a lot of times people come in, they've got a brake pull. Right. They hit the brakes, it dives to the right. So somebody checks and tells the brake hose bad. What do they do? They change the right brake hose. And the problem was on, on the, the opposite side. side. It's That's the left right. hose. The left hose is blocking the flow. That wheel's not stopping, so the right is stopping, so it so pulls it takes to, the right. to the right. So the point is you always replace hoses in pairs. You change both of them. Sure. And really, I like to change all of the hoses. There's three or four, depending, depending on, on the how, car, right. how they made. Some of them have one in the back. Some have two in the back. But if one hose is bad, you can bet the rest of them are oh, yeah, not far behind. They're right there with it. So right. go ahead and just change them all while you're in there. That way you save a big, big problem. Another thing is when a brake caliper goes bad, generally brake calipers, there's not a whole lot there to go bad. All no. it is a piston and a seal. Right. When they go bad, very often the hose 
is the problem. The hose has gone bad. The rubber out of the hose has gotten into the caliper, stuck it, bound right. it up, and so therefore the caliper is the caliper fails. gave you the symptom, and that's when it starts smoking. So you change the caliper without the hoses, and you're right back again. Exactly. Hey, I see we're just about out of time. Got to start winding it on up and get ready to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and get more people listening. That's right. Go to iTunes or Stitcher or whomever you use. Give us a written review. That'll move us up in the ratings so more people can hear us and we can keep on doing the show. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.